0: Hello and welcome to the VIP Fitness Podcast. My name is Victoria and my aim is to help you understand the mechanics of fat loss and maintenance and then to help you implement this understanding with your own fat loss and maintenance journey. I'll provide you with information, hints, tips, tricks and hacks that you can pick and choose from to use in your day-to-day life. If you want more information or you'd like to speak to me about coaching you can find me on Instagram at VIP Fitness Coaching. Thanks for listening today I really appreciate it. If you do enjoy what you've heard I'd appreciate it if you could share, follow, review, rate, all of that good stuff that podcasts ask you to do. Thank you for your time. In today's episode I'm going to be talking about NEAT, non-exercise activity thermogenesis and as part of that I'm going to go back to calories a little bit but explain the other side of the equation. So last week I talked about calories, what they are, how they work, all of that kind of thing, mainly from a point of the calories that you take in. So the calories that you eat on a daily basis. This week I'm going to be looking more at the calories you expend and focusing primarily on NEAT activity. So getting down into the other side of the calorie equation, calories that you expend. Now to be in a fat loss phase you need to make sure that your calories in are less than your calories out and importantly you need to make sure that that deficit is manageable so if the deficit is too small you're not going to see great fat loss it's going to be very very slow and although this is quite good for you from a health point of view psychologically you can feel like you're not getting anywhere with it and you're more likely to give up if you're not seeing results on the flip side of that if your calorie deficit is too large and you start dropping fat and weight quite quickly, ultimately it's going to be very hard to stick to this because your body will respond by making you hungrier, making you move less, and you will have that wild pendulum swing back to possibly overeating and taking on too many calories. So getting the balance right is really, really important. Now looking at how you use calories on a day-to-day basis, there are four main ways that your body uses calories. Out of those four ways, one of them we have very, very little control over. You might hear, you know, certain disreputable PTs, supplement companies, weight loss programs telling you that you can change this, but you can't. I'll go into more detail on that. So calorie expenditure, the biggest use of calories that you will make on a day-to-day basis is your resting metabolic rate or your base metabolic rate and this is the energy that your body uses just to be you, just to keep you alive, to keep your brain ticking over, to keep your heart beating, get you in and out of bed, basic day-to-day living and there's very 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 little that you can do to actually change this. It makes up roughly 70% of your calorie needs. And that 70%, like I say, is not really changeable. The bigger you are, the more weight you're carrying, the higher this number will be. And the smaller you are, the shorter and the less weight that you carry, the smaller this number will be. So if you're a very small, petite, low-weight woman, your resting metabolic rate will be quite low. If you're a very, very tall, very muscular, very heavy guy, your resting metabolic rate will be quite high. So resting metabolic rate, we can't do anything about that. Next highest on the list is NEAT, non-exercise activity thermogenesis. And this makes up 15% of our daily energy needs. Now I'll come back to NEAT because I just want to explain the other two first of all before we go into the nitty-gritty of what NEAT is. The third highest use is the thermic effect of food. We covered this a little bit last week in how different macronutrients use different amounts of energy and fibre, things like that. So if you've got a diet that's quite high in protein and fibrous foods you're going to use a fair bit of energy just breaking down those foods, whereas if your diet is primarily focused on fats, refined sugars, very easy to access carbohydrates, you're not going to get a lot of thermic effect from burning that food. Your body finds it really easy to break down, so you're not going to burn a lot of energy consuming those foods. For example, if you had a chicken salad with lots of fibrous carbohydrates with it, lots of leafy green veg and tough fibrous things, you're going to use quite a lot of energy burning that meal just to get the energy out of it. Whereas if you had, for example, like a chocolate bar with some peanut butter in it, nuts, that kind of thing... You're going to burn those very easily and get most of the calories out of them. So even though the calories might be equal, you might have a 500 calorie chicken salad versus a 500 calorie bar of chocolate. You're not going to get all of those 500 calories from the chicken salad. However, the chocolate bar, you will probably get the majority of those calories for you to use in your day to day activities. And then finally, you've got exercise, activity, thermogenesis or eat. Calories that you burn through exercise only really make up about 5% of the calories you use on a day-to-day basis. So when you hear the phrase, you can't out-train a bad diet, technically this isn't quite true. However, the amount of exercise you would need to do to burn off any extra calories that you're eating is quite extreme. So when they say you can't out-train a bad diet, technically you can, But you have to be training for a marathon, you have to be like a tour de France cyclist, you have to be rowing for one of the university teams, you have to be doing such a level of exercise that most people cannot really achieve that. If you're working in a job, you've got children, you've got family, all of that, you're not going to be able to meet the exercise levels needed to train out a bad diet. So that's what they mean by that, you can't out-train a bad diet it's a purely a, a time and training issue you can technically do it you just wouldn't want to so going back to neat neat is the area in your calorie expenditure where you're going to have the most and the best effect neat is covering all of the basic movement that you make throughout the day that doesn't technically class as exercise Now, there's two schools of thought on like walking. Some people think that walking should be counted as exercise activity. If you specifically go out for a walk to burn off a bit of energy, some people think you should count that under eat. Some people think that walking is just neat. Any kind of walking you do, even if it's intentional, it's still neat. Other things that count under neat are things like standing at the cooker, making dinner, doing some cleaning, you know, doing the school run, taking the kids to school and back, putting shopping away, any kind of activity where you're moving around, moving your body is NEAT. Now, measuring NEAT is really, really, really tricky. It's really hard to measure the NEAT that a person does in a day. A very crude way that we can measure NEAT is talking about a step count. Now, this is not perfect, and a step count won't take into account all of the neat that you do during a day but it's a really good way to get just a baseline measure of roughly where your neat is at. So if you're trying to lose fat and you're in a calorie deficit it's good to have a step target as well because then you know that the calorie deficit is being balanced out by the activity that you're doing. If you don't have a step goal what can tend to happen is that your body will react to this calorie deficit and try to get you to move less And this is on a very subconscious level. You don't even necessarily know that you're moving less and you're doing less activity because it's your body's way of trying to protect you. Your body has two hormones that control your hunger levels. The first one, ghrelin. If you're in a calorie deficit, your body will start to pump out more ghrelin, which will make you feel hungrier just as a way to protect you from losing those precious energy stores, i.e. the fat that you've been storing, because your body doesn't want you to lose those energy stores. So ghrelin will increase. You'll start to get hungrier. The other hormone, leptin, this is the hormone that your body releases to tell you that you're full. It's a satiety hormone. So when you're in a calorie deficit, your body will pump out less leptin. And it will tell you that you are not satiated. You need to keep eating more food. So the combination of these two hormones when you're in a calorie deficit will lead you to try to eat more and possibly pull you out of your calorie deficit. What also happens is, is that your body will try to conserve that energy by making you move less So you will be less likely to take steps. If you're in a situation where you're able to go up the stairs or the escalator, you're more likely going to go up the escalator. You're going to stand on it, not walk up it. It can even be as minute as things such as rather than stepping up onto a curb, you'll take a route where you can just step onto the curb on one of the drop curb areas. Your blink rate will slow down. All of these little things, you'll fidget less, you'll move your hands around less, you'll fiddle with your hair less. And your body is just trying to bring down that energy expenditure to help preserve the stores of fat it's built up. Another thing that happens is that as you do lose weight and lose fat, your body becomes smaller, you're carrying less weight around. And so that resting metabolic rate that we talked about earlier, that will also slightly decrease It's not a massive decrease, it's nothing you need to worry about and it's nothing really that you can change. The only way you could change it was by gaining weight again to bring it back up, which kind of defeats the point of what you're trying to do. So NEAT, NEAT is the area where you can make changes. So having a good step count, say for example you're doing 7,000 steps a day, continuing to do 7,000 steps a day is a great way to maintain those activity levels. For optimal health, it's recommended that we get in 8,800 steps a day. So if you're looking for a target, aiming for that 8,800 is a really good place to start. If you are in a calorie deficit and you're trying to lose fat and you want to keep that rate of fat loss stable, possibly bringing the step count up to the 10,000, 12,000 mark would be a good place to go. You know that you're getting that energy expenditure in. If you're starting from a point where you're doing very little steps, say for example you've measured how many steps you do and you're only doing about 2,000 steps a day, a good place to start would be maybe just trying to increase that by 1,000 steps. See if you can get 3,000 a day and then once you're comfortable there, bring it up again by another 1,000 and just gradually increase the number of steps you're doing on a daily basis until you're at that 8,000 mark where you're getting the real health benefits of your daily walking. So what are some ways that you can increase that NEAT without having to think too hard about it? Here's some good tips for increasing. If you like doing telephone calls, if you chat on the phone a lot to people, why not try walking around while you're doing that? So if you're on a long call to your mum and you're speaking to her for about half an hour on the phone, Walk around your house while you're doing it rather than sitting on the sofa or sitting at a desk to have that telephone conversation. Get up and walk around. This can also help at work if you do a lot of telephone calls at work and you've got the facility to talk on a mobile phone. Get up and walk up and down the office while you're having that phone call. You're going to get some extra steps in. If you've got a dog, take your dog for an extra walk, even if it's just an extra 15 20 minutes. Take them for an extra morning walk or an extra evening walk. That will get you some steps in. If you haven't got a dog, maybe get a dog. That's a good way to get loads of steps in. I have a very big dog who requires a lot of walking and I probably get most of my daily step count just from taking her out. If you're going shopping, park your car further away from the shop. You can just put your shopping back in the trolley and wheel the shopping the trolley back to your car. That's another good way. If you're cleaning the house, do a bit more cleaning, a bit more stomping around the house, getting some steps in that way. There's loads of ways where you can get extra movement in even if the weather is terrible can you put a video on youtube there's some great walking videos for getting steps in for marching on the spot there's some good dance videos where you can do a dance routine with youtube and get some dance steps in lots of different ways another good time to do some walking and get some steps in is after you've eaten and this is called a post walk, I believe. Not too sure on that, I'll need to check that out. But the premise is, is that basically, once you've eaten, you need to get that energy into your muscles, into your liver, into the right places in your body. Some of the talk about type 2 diabetes is when you've eaten and you have no movement and you've got this excess energy sitting around in your bloodstream and over time you can become insulin sensitive. This energy doesn't go into your cells particularly well because the insulin is trying hard to get that energy into your cells but, you know, it stops working over time. What can really help with this is a bit of movement after you've eaten. So maybe once you've had your breakfast, your lunch or your dinner, maybe say to yourself, right, after I've eaten... I'm going to go for a quick five minute walk, a quick 10 minute walk, 15 minutes, whatever you feel comfortable with and I'm going to go for that walk, it's going to help my body process that energy that I've had, it's going to go into my muscles, I'm going to feel good for it, I've got my steps in, and it's a really good way to get some steps in, really good way to clear the excess sugar in your bloodstream. Going briefly back to exercise activity, now this only makes up five percent as I said previously, the best way to think about exercise activity is not to think about the calories you're burning. For one thing a lot of people use fitness trackers in the form of watches or Phones and they will often give you a calories burned number to say this is how many calories you burnt doing that exercise. There's a lot of problems with these with them being highly inaccurate and also leading people to believe they've burnt more calories than they actually have. So what they don't break down is how much energy you would have used just doing nothing. For example if you went for a 30 minute run and your watch said oh well done by the way, you've burnt 300 calories on that run. And you're thinking, oh, fantastic. I wanted to have a few extra calories for having a drink later on. And now I've got 300 calories here. I can have a couple of drinks because I've burnt all that energy. What it's not taken into account is that had you just not gone on that run, had you just sat on your sofa watching telly, you still would have burned 100 to 150 calories just by being alive. It's not broken down your resting metabolic rate as part of that exercise. And so you've got a wildly inaccurate number telling you you've burnt calories when you possibly haven't. Another thing it doesn't do is it doesn't always take into account your height, your weight and your gender. So if you've gone for a 30 minute run and it says you've burnt 300 calories, that could just be an average number that the average person burns. And if you're a shorter... Smaller, more petite woman, and you've gone on a 30 minute run, you might have only burnt 200 to 220 calories, not 300. And then combined with your metabolic rate taken off of that, you might only have actually gained yourself an extra 80 to 100 calories from that run. But the number on your watch is telling you you've burnt an extra 300 calories. So it can be very misleading and it can very easily pull you out of a calorie deficit if you're taking these numbers into account. So for exercise, think of exercise as improving your health. Exercise is not for fat loss, exercise is for health improvement. If you're doing cardio exercise, that's going to improve your heart and your lungs. It's going to help your body process excess energy in your bloodstream as well. If you're doing resistance workouts, if you're lifting heavy things you're going to get strong bones, you're going to get strong muscles. As you lose fat, your body's going to look toned and you're going to look really good. Don't use exercise for burning calories. Think about NEAT. Where can you increase your NEAT? That's where your calorie burn is going to come from. So the bottom line on all of that, you can't do anything about your resting metabolic rate, any fitness thing online, any supplement companies, anything like that that tell you you can don't believe them they just want your money. The thermic effect of food. Make sure you're getting lots of protein in your diet, lots of fiber, lots of foods are more tricky for your body to break down. You're going to be using a little bit more energy that way, you're going to feel fuller, it's going to be better for you. Exercise activity. Don't go here for calorie burn, just go here for health. Neat. This is where your calorie burn comes in. Just make sure you are active during the day, getting enough steps, Keep yourself busy. If you've been sat down for a while, just get up, go for a quick five or ten minute walk. Do some walking after you've eaten. This is going to be your best way to balance your calorie energies in, energies out. I hope that's been useful. A quick note about what I was saying about eat, uh, walking after you've eaten. The technical name for it is postprandial walking, and that's spelt P O S T. P R A N D I A L, postprandial. And what this does is, after you've eaten something, going for a walk helps to lower the glycemic effect of that food. So it helps reduce the amount of glucose and glucogen in your bloodstream after you've eaten, which can help prevent type 2 diabetes. Thank you very much for your time and attention today. I hope that some of what I've said today has been helpful. If you want any more information on anything I've covered or if you'd like to speak to me about nutrition and fitness coaching, you can find me on Instagram at VIP Fitness Coaching. Please feel free to drop me a message. I'd be happy to respond to anything you want to talk about. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.